that's what's coming up. Uh, I am, uh, this is one of those weird things when the stars align where I'm doing the music and the preaching today because I was scheduled to preach and then uh, our first and second mu string music guys are out, so third string is up, and so um, that's why I'm up here doing both. Um, uh, and it's a cool Sunday because it's going to be, uh, in theory, a shorter sermon because uh, it's also an opportunity to share some testimonies and some videos of what all that the Lord did in Kenya uh, at during Kenya Summer Project this past summer. And so uh, to start that off, we're going to show you a video. If y'all could lower the lights and play this video, and then if you're sharing testimonies, y'all come on up, get ready. To, uh, you're up right after this video. <laughs> Thank you for the cross that you have carried. Thank you for your blood that was shed. You took the weight of sin upon your shoulders and sacrificed your life so I could Come on up. Woo! Yeah. Welcome to Lionel's right up here. 
Right there, right there. And y'all tell them who you are. All right. Um, I'm Chris, Chris Sewell. Uh, my wife and our four of our kids go to church. They've been here a few years. Um, and then actually my whole family's here today. My parents and my oldest son and even my grandkids are here. We have two grandkids. And I have pictures. Hey, do I have time to show pictures? <laughs> of course. So after the service, I'll be down here if you want to see pictures. Um, but we moved to this area in the mid-90s, um, my wife and I, and shortly after, um, we started a family, and I became a college station police officer. And I did that for about seven years. And towards the end of that time as a, as a cop, I began to feel like God was calling us to do cross-cultural mission work. And as a police officer, I felt like I was prepared to go anywhere in the world, send us to the hardest places, the, the most unreached. But during that process, um, God kept drawing our hearts back to the east coast of Africa, particularly Kenya, which it didn't make a lot of sense to me because Kenya, on paper, is a reached country. It's got a lot of evangel evangelical Christians in Kenya. Well, we prayed about that, and we actually ended up moving to the coast near Mombasa, where it's mostly Muslim, and we began to work with a, a Muslim people group called the Digo. And we were there for two years, um, and we saw very little visible fruit. And then I started having some sickness, and we ended up moving to Nairobi, the capital city, where Nairobi's like the, Kenya's like the Bible Belt of Africa, and Nairobi's like the center, like the buckle of the Bible. There's churches everywhere. And so it's like, God, what are, you, what are you doing? Give us a heart for the unreached, but you brought us to a place that's reached. Well, I began to work with college students in local churches, and I kind of discovered that while they have a heart for God, and they're discipled, and they can get into his word and pray, they, hadn't, they didn't have a vision for going. Um, so we began to start taking groups from churches and our university students to the unreached of Kenya. And on our first trip back to the Digo people, we saw our first two people from the Digo come to Christ. And then a few months later, we took another trip. And on that trip, we had 12 Digo come to Christ through the Kenyan church. And I began to just have like a, like God was like, hey, you don't have to be the one that goes to the unreached. You can also go to the reached and mobilize them to go. Go to the nations to see the nations reach the nations. Well, 2015, God called us back home here, um, and I became a cop again. And then shortly after that, we got stirring our hearts towards mobilization. And we got connected with the mission organization, the Center for Mission Mobilization, which is now called VIA. And VIA sends missionaries to places like Mexico City, and then in Brazil, Peru, London, um, East Asia, and then even Kenya. So over the last few years, we served with VIA, and we've had the pleasure twice this year of going back to Kenya to work with our full-time staff and then to see what God is continuing to do. Because there's places in the world where we as Westerners, um, we just don't have access to go. So one quick story. I had a student that I discipled back um, in 2013, 14, 15, he now has graduated from university. He is a civil and structural engineer. And over the last few months, he's been living in Somalia, paid for by the government to come there to do road stuff. And as, a, as God has created that platform for him, he is now 
beginning to use that as a way to do mission work in Somalia. And so um, just because we can't go to places doesn't mean that our global church, in fact, most of the Christians in the world live outside the U.S., but the U.S. is still initiating most of the mobile, I mean, mobilization or mission movements in the world. So it's time for us to continue to disciple uh, believers in the global church that they too can go. I'm going to teach you uh, one of Andy's favorite phrases. Uh, when a Kenyan believer is speaking to a group, they start off with "Wana Asafiwe," which just means "Praise the Lord." Uh, so they would say "Wana Asafiwe," and the whole group would say "Amen." So um, let's give that a try. "Wana Asafiwe." Amen. Amen. Uh, Andy loves that. Yeah. <laughs> say that to all of us all the time. Uh, my name is Joe, and along with Chris, I'm not only a member of Faith Bible, uh, but work with VS. And I've had the opportunity to take a group to Kenya for the last uh, three years now. And I've been blessed to have some really awesome uh, young adults from Faith Bible that have come with us uh, each of those years. Uh, and I'm actually going to share a story. Um, I kind of want Kobe Clark to come stand up here with me, if that's okay. But I want to share a story that kind of spans um, the three... I'm sorry, we're not Kobe, it's okay. But... Uh, I wanted to share a story of how God used some faith Bible students um, just over the span of three years to really change a life. Uh, so if you've been kind of following along with these summer projects in the past, you might have heard the story of Harry. So at our first, uh, our first summer project, uh, Harry was somebody that Kobe met while playing basketball. If you know Kobe, he loves to play basketball, and what better way to meet somebody than playing basketball. Uh, and so he met Harry, and he found out that Harry didn't know Jesus. And so he started doing a discovery Bible study with Harry, and uh, man, he just, he loved Harry so well. He was uh, constantly hanging out with them, and shared like the truth of scripture with him over and over and over again. And then clearly just shared the gospel and said, what do you think about all this? And um, that first year, uh, Harry rejected it. He said, think that that might be true, but I just can't make Jesus Lord in my life. And it, it broke Kobe's heart. It broke all of our hearts. You know, we had all come to know Harry, and uh, man, we wanted him to know Jesus. Uh, so all throughout that year, I just kept talking to Kobe, and I was trying to get him to come back the next year to start project. Kobe, are you going to come again? And he was like, maybe, man, maybe. I've been, uh, I've been talking with Harry on Instagram, and uh, you know, it would be really cool to see him again. Uh, so all throughout the year, we had Harry on his mind, and he was praying for him, and talking to him still from the United States. Uh, so, last year, we come back, and man, it was like a movie moment. We saw Harry running across the field, and then Kobe just like, Harry! And then Kobe just like, Kobe! And then just ran and hugged, that was great. Um, and like three days into that trip, they had been talking about the truth of Scripture over and over and over again. And finally, that group, uh, we had some more faith Bible students there. We had Garrett Bean there. Uh, ben was there. Uh, Morgan was there. And they were all just sharing the truth of Scripture with them. Just like, why, why would you not respond if you believe? And, uh, man, after one just long night of talking, uh, he said, I do want to respond. And uh, he made Jesus his Lord and Savior. 
Yeah. But it didn't stop there. Um, we were able to um, get the introduction to Drew Lewis, who you may have heard of, uh, heard from last week, who had just moved. Uh, part of the reason we do some project is to help uh, some of the field team that we have that lives there long term, working with uh, churches and believers to mobilize them. And so we were able to introduce the two of them. And throughout the last year, uh, Drew's been able to disciple Harry, and they've got to walk through life together. Uh, fast forward to this past summer, and Harry said, hey, I want to participate in the summer project this year. Now I want to be one of the ones that goes with you to these churches, and I want to mobilize other believers. I want to mobilize my own team in church. Awesome. Hey, y'all. My name is Michael Groff. Uh, my wife is Savannah Groff. If y'all met her, she's resting up at home today, a little sick, but she's also on the trip, and she's also on staff with VIA. Uh, I am not, but I got to go for a, a week, uh, getting to take off some work and go go with them. And it was the first time that I had ever been to a uh, Eastern culture, um, and it was awesome. Uh, first time I ever crossed an ocean and been in Eastern Eastern culture, it was amazing. And unfortunately, I was greeted first by a hug from Andy, not my wife, but <laughs> that was totally fun. Uh, um, and uh, I was just going to share this uh, back. I was just going to share uh, something the Lord taught me in that week that I was there. And he used the Kenyan church uh, in the way that they do life to teach me this. He, he taught me a lot about identity. And it was more of a reminder of the fact that my identity is rooted in him. The fact that I'm a born-again son of God. Not what I do, what my job is, how my performance at my job was that day. And the way that looked was every time we would go to a Kenyan church and meet members of the church, their introductions would start with what Joe just taught, taught y'all. And they would say, Everybody would say, Amen. And then they would say, My name is so-and-so. I'm a born-again uh, believer, or they would say, and I love the Lord Jesus Christ, and that was it. That was all they would say, and I'm thinking, I don't know much about these people from my Western view of the world, because usually we say, this is my job, this is what I do, but they didn't care as much. <laughs> they cared more about the fact that they were born again, because truthfully, that was way bigger a part of them than maybe where they go to work or where they go to school or what they study. And that was awesome. And God uh, just reminded me that because, especially for me over the first year of my job, there's tons of ups and downs where you make mistakes or even where you do great. And it either leads to this, this false exaltation of self or you start feeling like the world is, is ending because you are making a lot of mistakes at work. But it doesn't matter because your identity is rooted in the fact that you are, that I am a born again son of God. And that joy is consistent and is amazing. And because of that, I'm going to go steward my work well and work hard. But if the results don't work out to be incredible, it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's what I learned from the Kenyan church. student at A&M. I'm a member here and I've had the opportunity to serve with youth this past year and um, I love this church and in my time in Kenya I got to just love the global church even more and um, I was just amazed at the way like 
thing of they do church and they do life with each other. Um, I was sitting with a group of women and they were all from different tribes and they all had different testimonies and backgrounds and um, it was obvious that they made different amounts of money. But um, despite them all being strangers, they just came together so, so quick. Because the only thing that mattered to them was that um, they were all sisters in Christ and they loved each other so much because of that. And I got to see that time and time again of the church just being in unity. Um, they would bring the kids up and pray before, which I thought was excellent of the whole church just coming together and um, just petitioning on the behalf of families. And I got to see just so clearly that the Lord is so much bigger and more worthy of just College Station or just Texas and the experiences I've had before. Um, Africa is very different. I don't know if you've noticed that. But um, just that God is so just aware of what's happening there. Um, he knows every intricate detail of each individual life and each individual church, um, all the funky animals that I never imagined before. Um, he's sovereign over it, and he knew it all. And so I think that really just kind of opened my eyes to that the world is so much greater and bigger than um, what's around me. And the God, God is at work in um, places across the world. And at one point in time, missionaries went to Kenya and um, brought the good news of the gospel, and it has radically changed that nation. You can't look outside the window of your van without seeing a Bible verse. And I think it just gave me such a big um, expectation of what the Lord can do in the unreached areas, um, that nations in this world were designed and meant to look like um, the church in Kenya and the church here. And we are just able to bring the good news to them one way or another, and that um, the Bible promises that all tribes, tongues, and nations will come to know him as we've seen that in Kenya, and it's just such a great encouragement. Yeah, one thing that always gets me uh, happened when I went to, well, El Salvador and Romania and in Kenya, just the most impactful parts for me is usually whenever we're worshiping, uh, just sort of the I realize that the Lord is just so much bigger and something about hearing people in a different culture uh, singing praise to God and in words that I don't understand but I know he does and it's just like wow there's more than the English language there's more than where we are and he's bigger Uh, and it was really powerful I want to share uh some pictures and videos to give y'all a little bit of a flavor of what it was like there. And some of these I'll talk over a little bit. Um, I, I don't remember what's first. Go ahead and show me. All right, yeah, so go ahead and play. So this is the uh, just a quick little scan of the school where the summer project where all these uh, uh, students from A&M and other places were going around and meeting uh, university students and walking them through this Bible study about how God's heart for all nations and uh, that's just a quick little scan of where they were and what's next oh yeah I want to go ahead and hit play I want to give you all a flavor of the traffic which was just sort of a free-for-all and it was the uh, go, I, I need to hear I need them to hear this yeah uh, 
going to hear lots of horns and stuff. That there were a few traffic lights, but they were kind of recommendations. Uh, and it, you've got cars and buses. They were friendly. You've got these uh, motorcycles that would have whole families on them. They just didn't carry four or five, and they had big boxes and they had stuff on them. Uh, and you, it was just sort of a soupy mess of cars and trucks and vans and bicycles and motorcycles and pedestrians all just and it somehow works and if you have an inch you take it and if you don't you're the problem that's messing up the rhythm it just works and I don't know if you heard him he said be careful of your phone because they will take it and I was like oh okay good to know thank you for that so that was pretty wild um what's next Oh yeah, I'm here. So the first half I was with the students who were talking to other students there in Kenya, and then the second half that I was there, I was with this pastor's conference, which was awesome. Go to the next one. There's like 60 to 70 uh, pastors from all over East Africa, some of them from like remote villages uh, that were all came together in Via, uh, Via, just met some people there, that uh, we're putting on this pastors conference so the idea is get all these pastors and help them mobilize them who are the nations to go to the nations and I had the privilege of getting to speak there um, and let's see what's next I think it might be oh yeah so I met several of you I could tell you stories of uh, all these pastors and uh, let's have a taco and a coffee and I'll tell you more go to the next one each of these guys have Crazy stories. Go to the next one. Um, and then, yeah, Joseph, you're going to see Joseph there in the middle on the stage here in a second. Okay, go, with, go to the next one. Okay, so uh, the the pastor's conference concluded with the worship um, service. And uh, the people that were scheduled to come and who were rehearsed and prepared to do music didn't show. So the uh, worship service was an open mic. So what you had is a couple of leaders from this church in this village come up, and they'd sing a couple of songs. They would just start singing, and then uh, somebody would somebody got up there on the piano, and they'd go, okay, there it is, and they'd just find it, and then they'd start playing. Or it usually would start with somebody clapping, because you need a beat, and then the drummer would follow that. And it, there's like no preparation, and it just kind of worked. They'd start singing, and people are singing and dancing and clap, clapping and kicking, and, and then they'd do their couple of songs, and a couple of other people from another church, from another village would pop up and come up and do another couple of songs, and it was awesome. It was like uh, zero musical precision, and nobody cared. It was, they were just ready to go. Uh, so go ahead and hit play. I want you to hear this.
take a look. Uh, you can see there's the, uh, in, in the Old Testament, it's kabod, it's weight. And in the New Testament, the word for glory is life. So you've got this weight and substance of who God is. And then whenever the things that come from him or that he says or does, they are like lights radiating from him that you can see or hear and realize how awesome God is. So you'll see in scripture that glory moves in two directions. Go to that next one. Glory goes down from God to man. All the different things that God says and does that say God is awesome to us. And then when we see and receive that, then we give God glory, which says, God, you are awesome. And go to that next one. So God, there's lots of things that God reveals his glory to us through all these things. And then at the bottom, man has choice a choice to either receive or reject that message that God is awesome. And you'll see through all the scripture, he did this so that they will know that there is a God in Israel. And once a man or a woman receives that message, submits to it, God is awesome and surrenders to him then. Gives God glory through worship, evangelism, loving one another, a radical, living your life with a radical trust for the Lord. All of those things display and proclaim to the world around us that God is awesome. So this is how glory works. And in Habakkuk 2.14, it says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. So this is the end goal. Not just that glory would be all over the seas. But knowledge, which means that requires a human recipient to see the glory and to know it. So he's going to get the knowledge of glory from all the ends of the earth. And you should be thinking Revelation 7, 9. Every tribe, nation, and tongue around the throne are going to be given because he's going to have knowledge of his glory across the earth. And how is he going to do it? The way that he's going to get the knowledge of the glory of God to the ends of the earth is through this feeble, clumsy vehicle known as you and me. And so he made us. So turn to Genesis one twenty six. God is worthy of getting glory from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And the way that he's going to get them to know that he is worthy of that glory is to send humans that he creates. Here in Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over basically everything on earth. Look at 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, by the way, God is not male. God is God. Male and female are equal representations, reflections of who God is. Because he is both protector and conqueror and uh, logical linear thinker and wisdom. And he is also nurturing and loving and compassionate and intuitive and relational, and they are both equal expressions of who God is, made in his 
image. Verse 28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Because remember, it's going to be as the water covers the seas. They're going to multiply and fill as these images. So when people look at these people, they see, wow, God is awesome. And they hear what they're saying and how they're living. And they go, wow, God really is awesome. So he makes them in his image and says, multiply, spread out. And so men and women were made with the express purpose of multiplying and filling the earth with his image. But once people multiply and spread out, what exactly are they supposed to see? What exactly are the nations supposed to see when they look at these images of God? They're supposed to see the glory of God. They're supposed to see the rule of God. See, he says rule over it, right? Rule over, which includes God's rule over evil and light over dark. And we are a part of displaying that and proclaiming that. So people are supposed to see his glory, his rule, his love, and his community. When he looks at me and you as his images that are multiplying and spreading out to every corner of the earth. And the idea is, look, God made male and female because with just one, you can't reflect a God who is in eternal community with himself. Which is why it says in Genesis 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So, I, he takes dirt and breathes life into it. And I imagine a man being sort of like this lump of dirt, this clay that God like puts together and then, and like, okay. Now, that's not quite right. Because I am both one and more than one. And this is one. So he says, this isn't good. And so it says in verse 18, chapter 2, verse 18, Then the Lord said, it is not good. By the way, on the other days of creation, he's saying, it is good, it is good. And then he makes man, and he goes, it is not good. <laughs> so man and woman, and then what does he say? Very good. And so... It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Okay, that's the word we're going to dig in on, helper. Look at verse 21. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up the place with the flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So rib is actually not the best translation of that word. It's more like from the side of him. So it's like you've got... Man, he goes, not nah, good. And so grab. And he's like, okay. So that's more than one. But it's not one. So still not great. So then what does he do? Look in verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So he does this. <laughs> you see? Look at that. One and more than one. He goes, that's very good. That looks like me. And now, back to this word helper. Why does he need a helper? And by the way, when I talked about this in Kenya, there was 
I got some scowls from some older, it's a very patriarchal society, and it was uncomfortable uh, as we talk about this word helper. Or as I challenged our common notions of uh, the word helper. Because, look, we have to ask why did man need a helper? Was it because he is like a CEO who is so strong and so powerful and so important that there are menial tasks that are beneath him that he needs an assistant to do? Is that why he needs a helper? Well, uh, we need to look at what this word actually means, helper, biblically. But first we need to look at what what problem is being solved here? How do they solve this problem? And it's kind of like if somebody comes up to you and says, okay, you have a problem. And I go, what are you talking about? What problem? And then they hand me a piece of, uh, of gum. And I go, oh, that's the problem. Like somehow, sometimes the solution tells you what the problem is. So here we got to, there's something that's not good. Then we got to look at what did he actually do and how did he do it? He gave him a helper. So now there are more than one, and he also made this other one very different. So why did he do this? It's not just that we need to cover the earth. It's not like, why did he need a helper? In context, the immediate context there is reproduction, right? The different animals, and then he's like, we need to fill and be fruitful and multiply. So you could take that to mean the only thing he needed help with was to reproduce. But God could have made us asexual beings who reproduce by sports. Right? He could have done it so many different ways. But he made, he pulled out half and made it a, a helper that is so different. Why would he do that? Unless he's giving us an opportunity to display to the world who he is. And how he humbly, within Father, Son, and Spirit, for all of eternity, are humbly knowing and seeing and understanding and lifting the other up. Apparently there's different gifts that I don't have that reflect the glory of God that other people around me and my wife and the church around me has. If he didn't want us depending on one another and appreciating one another as his image bearers, he would have made us all cookie cutters, carbon copies of one another. If it was just about numbers, he'd have made us all exactly the same. But he's up to something. He's displaying this, who he is. And by the way, it's another opportunity. Part of how we're showing him to the nations and to the world around us is to put his love on display. And for one, I can't display love by myself. I have to have someone to love. And to humble myself and to serve and to sacrifice and to see. And this is how I show and put on display and image the love of God to the world around me. And apparently, there's limitations to what I bring to the table when it comes to subduing the earth. When it comes to showing the rule of God over evil and of light over dark. 
that there are spiritual gifts and strengths that my wife has that I do not have. And by the way, if you're single, you're not excluded here. You're you're either in desperate need of a spouse to accomplish what God has called us to do, or you're in desperate need of the body to be married to the body of Christ. The only thing that is clearly not an option here is for one believer to live in complete isolation by him or herself and to think that I'm imaging God. But God has rigged it to where I have to see, understand, appreciate, and exalt someone different than myself and partner with them so that the world around me looks and sees the glory, the rule, the love, and the community of God. I need desperately a helper. Okay, now let's get to this word helper. What does it mean? It's the word in Hebrew, ezer. And it's used 21 times in the Old Testament. And here's a few of them. And I'll just give you, I'll I'll spoil the ending here that over half the times this word is used, it's used to describe God as our helper. So we have to be very careful of looking at this word helper as an assistant. I didn't come and rescue me because I needed an assistant to do the menial task that I'm too important to do. So, there's our verse, 218, and then Exodus, Moses says, God the Father has been my help. Deuteronomy 33, there's no one like God who rides through the sky to help you. This is all that same word. We wait for the Lord. He is our deliverer, sometimes translated deliverer. Go to that next one. I am oppressed and needy. There's several psalms, and I just picked a few. You are my helper, my deliverer. And y'all know this one. I look up toward the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. How blessed is the one whose helper is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord, his God. Just like we are in desperate need of rescue without God, men are in desperate need of rescue and unable to image God in isolation. Men and women, we are unable to accomplish this mission in isolation. Whether through marriage to a spouse or to a church. And by the way, the spouse thing doesn't get you off the hook with the body. It's a both and. I like how the net translates this word helper in 2.18. It says the, an indispensable companion. Bible Project, uh, Tim Mackey calls it a rescuing ally. So why is it not good for man to be alone? It's not because... He's so strong and important, he needs someone else. It's because he's weak and in desperate need of help to accomplish the task God has given him. 
So yes, I am in desperate need of my wife, Kristen. And uh, at this pastor's conference, that guy, Joseph, with the blue and white, uh, he got up to share at the end. And I was a little nervous because I was uh, pressing. And I was worried I was damaging the relationship between them and Via. Because did I push too hard too fast? But this one guy stood up and he said, I just wanted to share what I've learned today and what the Lord has taught me uh, that uh, we need, and he, he was talking about this word, Ezra, and then he looked around the room and he said, brothers, we need to stop treating our wives like slaves and treat them as equal partners. And I was like, thank you, Lord. And that's so true. I, Kristen is my equal partner, and I'm in desperate need of her. But, don't miss the bigger point here. My desperate need for Kristen is a reminder of I'm in desperate need of help from God. And if I don't recognize my desperate need for my wife, it might be indicative of a massive root of pride in my heart that goes to the core of how I relate to God. It, it might just be one expression of me thinking that I am strong enough and sufficient enough. And, and if you squirm out from under the idea of I'm in desperate need of my helper, be careful that it's not something underneath that you're trying to protect a sense of self-sufficiency that doesn't have some roots in how you relate to God. We desperately are in need of help from God. And this is how, this is just the simple gospel. This is how the gospel works. You do not come to God unless on your face and humbly saying, I need you. I cannot. Jesus, you can. I'm in desperate need of you. We need help. God sees our need. And he sends help. And how does he send help? He sends himself. How crazy is that? Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. Because he sends the Lord. He sends Jesus in the flesh. Look at Hebrews 13.5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. Now this is not uh, Hebrew. But this is the New Testament equivalent and counterpart of that word. Helper. It's Ezra in Hebrew. And it's both boethos here in Greek. Helper. The Lord is my helper. Jesus is my helper. And he came not to just help me beside me, but he came to dwell within me. And he came to stay. Do you remember what he said in John 14, 6? When I go away, I'm going to send a helper. The Spirit is the means by which Jesus himself lives in and through us. 
help, to rescue. <laughs> that word help is not him assisting us because we just need a little nudge. It's him taking over because we're in desperate need of rescue. So why did he send us himself as our help? It's not because we're strong or powerful and in need of someone to do the menial task. It's because he loved us in our weakness and our desperate need. And when we were powerless, he came, he died, he rose. And for all those who believe, he dwells within us. I better stop there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for seeing our desperate need for you. And thank you for coming and not leaving us alone. It's so simple, really. We need you. And you love us. And you came, and you died, and you rose. Lord Jesus, we believe. We believe that we need you. I need you to say anything. I need you to sing. I, I need you to think and do what I'm supposed to do right now and for the rest of the day and the rest of my life. Anything I do apart from you is filthy rags. I need you. We need you. And we believe, Lord Jesus. And we thank you. And we praise you. Amen.